Uh, well, it was wild, like, you know. I don't know how many thousand people were, <laughs> were here. I'd say every one of them thought it was wild except the umpire. But anyway, sure, look, that's what happens when you, you know, when you weigh grounds, you don't tend to get breaks. Subscribe to the OTBGAA podcast feed wherever you get your podcasts. Football on Off The Ball With Sky Get all the football you love in one place Across Sky Sports, BT Sport and Premier Sports Alright, we're just over a week away from the return of the domestic football season We'll have the President's Cup first up And then the League of Ireland season returns uh, very quickly after that And ahead of it I'm delighted to be joined in studio by the League of Ireland Director Mark Scanlon How are you? Good, Nathan. Thanks very much for having us in. Uh, every time I see your name, I think that's a tough gig. That's a tough gig, League of Ireland director. I know every time we cover a League of Ireland topic, you get a 50-50 split of brilliant, really enjoyed that, and that was the worst piece, and I can't believe you didn't ask him this, and I can't believe you didn't criticise. Uh, trying to bring all the parties together, how much of your job is spent with just trying to trying to keep everybody somewhat happy? Yeah, well, firstly, it's, it's a really enjoyable job from our point of view. I mean, to work in something that you're passionate about as the League mm. of Ireland as I've been as a, a fan since a young kid um, has been usually enjoyable for me so the last couple of years has certainly been challenging um, from our side because when I came in in the first place into this role and we were building a team in the department we took over obviously in the middle of some of the previous governance issues that were there and then also in the middle of COVID as well so it's been a challenging time but it's been a hugely enjoyable time because we've had the opportunity to uh, to do things differently to create some new and exciting ventures for the future as well and I think now we're in a really, really really good space um, seeing the return of fans last year to, to stadiums in full capacities was mm. absolutely fantastic and then uh, where we're at right now in terms of, of the rebrand and what's there for the future the League of Ireland I don't think there's ever been a more exciting time around the league so it's uh, hugely positive right now I think there's a lot of good sentiment out there for the league The previous governance issues obviously cover so many of our conversations around Irish football right now but uh, you know, John Delaney's relationship with the League of Ireland was never a positive one the problem child when you come in and the League of Ireland director and it's an FAI appointment, what sort of resistance and, I guess, distrust would that have been something you would have found from from League of Ireland teams towards the FAI and their attitude towards the league? I think, look, to be fair, there was an obvious bit of pushback from, from clubs in the first instance in, um, towards some of, of, of previous regimes and things that had gone on within, uh, within the FAI. But in the main, the clubs have been hugely positive because what we have at the clubs, um, whether it's the full-time staff and clubs, whether it's the volunteers who've kept the clubs going over the years, is passion. And they're really, really passionate about their clubs. They're passionate about the League of Ireland. Uh, and they just want to drive forward in the same direction. And, and that's where we're at right now with them everything that we've done with the clubs in terms of collaboration in various different areas things like LOI TV for example that we've worked on uh, where we're at right now and trying to build the academy structures for example we're very much on the same page as the clubs and we want the same thing so are the uh, clubs on the same page as each other because they are rivals because they are all fighting it out on the pitch at the end of the day and you know again I think back to covering League of Ireland transfers and what the clubs can do better to get better value for their players quite often people say well they they need to all come to an agreement around contracts and actually all you need is one of them to break that and it falls apart have you found that there is a common cause for the greater good or is everything a bit of a battle? Yeah, look, obviously when you bring 20 clubs together on the men's side and then obviously we've uh, 11 teams in the Women's League this year, when you bring all of that into the mix together, you'll always have some differences of opinion. You'll always have clubs who are on very different trajectories, whether that's competing in European competition or fighting for uh, survival at the bottom of uh, the men's Premier Division or you know, just establishing themselves in the women's Premier Division, whatever it may be. They'll they'll all have sort of slightly different agendas, but um, in the main, it's it's 
very much positive that they're pushing in the same direction and you know you mentioned some common agreements like for example the likes of the uh, the minimum wage regulations that were brought in this year the changes to the professional player contracts that was very much done as a collective with the clubs and agreement that's there so so I think in the main uh, certainly they are pulling together in the same direction and looking to do the same thing and, and that's that's what makes the job being so enjoyable from our side because there's a real desire uh, to just improve the league as, uh, as a whole and to improve each of the individual clubs and see what we can do collectively so uh, the economic reality of what has gone on in the FAI means tightened purse strings is going to be a, an issue over the coming years and you announced last week the prize money for the League of Ireland is going to remain the same. It's going to be a €600,000 pot. The economic challenge that the League faces, how big a factor is that in your role in terms of uh, increasing prize money? Where can you look to to get more money into the League? Yeah, I mean, certainly, look, you, you look at the prize money that's available in some other leagues or you look at some of the broadcast revenue or commercial revenue and you do look at it with envy and say, if we had that, what could we do? How could how quickly could we develop the league? Um, so that's just the reality of, of what is out there right now in our market. We're obviously in a situation where we're competing with other field sports in this country as mm. well in particular, which maybe isn't the case in a lot of other small to medium term uh, leagues across the country so or across Europe, sorry. Um, so that, that it presents us with a challenge, but there's a few key areas obviously that we can target in in terms of increased investment so investment into the clubs uh, in the first place by either private individuals or by members own clubs to to drive the revenue forward for the clubs themselves and then centrally from our own point of view obviously we want to continue the relationships that we've had with central and local government to try increase the funding into into the clubs into the league in general and we want to increase the commercial revenue and we have some great partners obviously SSE Electricity in particular have been a really long-term partner of the league and been a huge boost that, that they've stayed uh, with us over the last number of years and uh, are the title sponsor of the three divisions again next year and as well as that we've also had Bank of Ireland and EA Sports uh, heavily mm. investing into the league over the last few seasons so uh, Those other field sports that you talk about you know, rugby and GEA and the success of both of those their economic model what do you think is it that's drawing sponsors to those organisations that aren't coming to the League of Ireland? Well, I think we've done quite well, actually, within the association in general, the wider association, the FAI, in terms of uh, commercial revenue in, in the last um, couple of years as well, f- from where we were coming from. Well, it's been reflected, the obviously, in the men's senior team still doesn't have a title sponsor on the jersey. But for the league, it's always felt like it's been a bit of a struggle, despite the fact football, for so many, is well, maybe the most popular sport in the country. There's nothing that unites the country like the Irish football team. The League of Ireland has always operated slightly differently, but like it is a real community feel about it now. You can see the increase in crowd attendances. Have you got any sense over the last 12 to 18 months that that's been reflected in the commercial market and that there is a potential over the coming years to increase that prize money, to put more revenue back in? Because you know we've seen private individuals get involved with clubs over the past you know, 12 months. We saw Dermot Usher down in Cork. It's very hard to make any money back, to even break even when that's the level of your prize money. Yeah, that, look, I think there there has been that increase and we have seen that um, I- increased interest from people and from sponsors. Uh, the clubs will report that as well. I think, you know, what you've already mentioned, the increase in attendances, obviously up 29% in the 
men's Premier Division last year, 135% in the men's First Division as well. So the attendance has continued to be on the rise. Obviously, the more people coming in the gates, the more attractive that is for sponsors to be involved. The more people that are watching on TV, that are watching on LOI TV as well, uh, makes a huge difference because uh, that's obviously going to encourage more sponsors to get involved. But also, uh, women's football in particular, the fact that the clubs have embraced that and driven forward, you know, we, we can see that from the clubs in terms of their sponsorship agreements as well. Our, our clubs now really are fundamentally different than they were 10-15 years ago where they were a men's senior team playing in the League of Ireland they now have men's women's teams thriving academies and they do fantastic work in the community as well so they're def- definitely a much better prospect for uh, for any sponsors to invest into Do the clubs receive any money at all from television revenue? Yeah so the vast majority of our uh, television revenue and commercial revenue is what goes into the prize fund mm. uh, pot that's there and then the clubs also receive a number of different other grant aid funding from us as well in particular in, in the women's game obviously where the clubs will uh, will receive grants to help them create that professional environment to, to bring the game up to a But on TV the specifically game. is there a TV deal for the League of Ireland separate from the men's national team is there a TV deal with RTE that results in teams getting paid for live coverage of their matches? No it's all reflected into the prize pot so it all comes back in so it's not some leagues will do it differently some leagues will put it all back into a central pot some leagues will um, you know disperse it across all the clubs evenly and some will do it based on who's on TV um, so in our particular model it goes into the, the prize fund pot But RTE are paying for the rights Correct, yeah. to the league Yeah uh, you say about looking on enviously at maybe some of the TV deals, even at similar sized countries. How do you get to that next level? What has got to happen so that there is a competitive market for the League of Ireland, so that RT will show more games, which I know is a frustration for a lot of people, that there's a sort of stop-start nature to it and you don't get into the flow of being able to follow a team. What have you been able to do to, to try and get more of a of a focus on, on the league on a regular basis from the national broadcaster or, or from any of the TV companies? Yeah, well, look, I think to be fair to RTE and TG Cahar in terms of the broadcast of both the men's and women's leagues, um, they have very difficult schedule and space themselves. They're obviously trying to cover a number of different sports. Uh, they're not a sports-specific channel, so it is difficult for them to get the space. Um, but ultimately, if we want to fight for more of that space, um, one of the most important aspects for us is, is simply down to facilities because... Uh, broadcast quality facilities will make a big difference um, some of our grounds obviously don't reflect very well when, when they're looked at on television as well so you know we all know what it's like as League of Ireland fans being in the ground uh, the great atmosphere that's there we know the quality that's on the pitch we know the work that goes on behind the scenes by the clubs um, we're in a really good place with all of that but unfortunately the one area that still hasn't caught up yet is our facilities um, so when we have broadcasts from the likes of Tallah Stadium it obviously looks really, really well on TV. It's been obviously the men's under 21s and the women's senior team uh, have played there as well. And, and from that aspect, it makes a big difference. Uh, but some of our grounds aren't obviously up to that level. And, and that's uh, unfortunately doesn't help us in, in terms of any of negotiations in broadcast. So part of our facilities investment plan that we're currently putting together in the association will have a major emphasis on uh, increasing uh, the broadcast facilities to make it a lot more viable for TV companies to be involved. Right, so a part of the issue is actually to go to a daily mount that is, you know, needs a lot of work, or you know, I know there's plans around many of them, Talker Park included. That's simply the basic facilities that they would need to broadcast the game, either aren't there, and the cost to bring that in is just not worth their while. 
Yeah, exactly. And obviously the cost every time there's additional cost added to the, the outside broadcast and what it costs the companies, then that's obviously going to take away from uh, from revenue that could be generated into the league as well. So uh, that's just the unfortunate part of, of sort of what we've inherited in terms of some of the stadium. Mm. But obviously that's that's been discussed at length across the board and there's a real willingness for that to change. And that's where we're in um, discussions and we will continue to discuss with central government, with local government, with UEFA, with FIFA, um, other grant funding that we can possibly achieve and facilities will, will be a major part of what we, we want to try to achieve in the next few years. It's also a part of the FAI strategy, uh, the 2022 to 2025 strategy and said that by the end of 2022 that a League of Ireland infrastructure plan will be in place that will encompass stadia, training grounds, academies which need analysis agreed and costed to secure necessary investment. Has that been done? Yeah, so slightly delayed in terms of uh, the final product and all that because uh, what we done when we started off looking at the plan um, was made sure that the facilities investment plan worked across all areas of the game. Um, so because it was a much wider remit then than, than the initial plan, it was worked across all grassroots facilities, obviously League of Ireland um, and also National Training Centre at Abbottstown as well for, for the benefit of international teams. Uh, it's become a much bigger project, so uh, that's well underway at the minute. Did it need to become that? Should there not be a a separate focus on the League of Ireland away from grassroots, away from what happens out in Abbottstown? Because the League of Ireland clubs aren't going to benefit from what happens out in Abbottstown. Yeah, I think I think everything has to roll into one in terms of that area, and that's the, all them parts of the game uh, all need improvement in facilities. So the overall look at the facilities and the infrastructure plan that was needed, I think, was necessary. So uh, I think we'd rather take the time to get that right and ensure it's a, it's a long-term plan. It's not going to be a short-term fix. So if that's delayed by a couple of months into 2023 before we have that together, I think it's more important for us to get that right, especially when we're we're trying to bring that to government or we're trying to bring that to um, private investors or look for grant funding. Uh, it's important that it's done right. In terms of getting extra funding then uh, and government funding, there's been a lot of focus on uh, a gambling levy and there were some remarkable statistics this week about the amount that has been gambled on League of Ireland games uh, from two different angles. Firstly, is it a possibility of a betting tax that brings some of that money that's gambled in Ireland, whether it's on the League of Ireland or on the Premier League or anywhere around the world, but also the potential impact it could have on players when you're having up in millions upon millions been gambled on a Premier Division game or also on a First Division game where the players are quite often amateur or on very low wages. What sort of conversations are happening with government about getting some of that gambling money back into Irish football? I think, look, that's obviously something that's been discussed for quite a while now in terms of, of the betting levy. It's certainly uh, something that we'd like to see, um, you know, go towards football in, in whatever aspect that we can. We can. But uh, Roy Barrett obviously discussed that a couple of weeks mm. ago uh, as well. And there is a group looking at that at the minute. So them conversations are, are, are ongoing. Um, as, you, as you rightly said, we've seen the figures um, that has been bet in the League of Ireland on a, on a regular basis. So uh, we know the money that's there in that industry. And I think... Um, you know, collectively as the clubs and as the League of Ireland we've obviously decided against the likes of a gambling sponsorship which we know 19 leagues across Europe have for example so you know, we talk about generating revenue for the league we've, we've obviously taken that stance because of some of the dangers uh, around gambling and what we need to be careful of but obviously the industry um, is still a live industry and there's a lot of money um, going through it so certainly a percentage of, of the betting levy would be a huge help um, particularly in the area of infrastructure. What sort of reaction are you getting within government buildings to that? Because horse racing clearly have a long history of being very successful at lobbying government around a betting levy and around making sure that money goes back in. 
Is it still a hangover from the previous regime that there's a, a bit of a lack of trust in Irish football or just a, a lack of connection with Irish football amongst government ministers, amongst the people who are making the decisions? No, I wouldn't say that at all. I think we've a, a very positive relationship with government. Um, the the new sports minister Thomas Byrne is obviously a very supportive of football. Is the League of Ireland background with his own father playing as well, which was which was great. The previous minister um, Jack Chambers was obviously very supportive as well, and, and across government, across from uh, the Taoiseach and Tánaiste, that there's, there's been a great level of support. So I think that will continue, and I think uh, it's incumbent on us to have the right plans. Uh, in place f- for government to be able to back and support us and I'm sure once we have that we'll we'll get the support. You mentioned the uh, minimum wage and we had Stephen McGuinness in at the time talking about that and since then it's uh, come forth that the Women's League will also have a minimum wage in place for professional players and like bringing the clubs on board with that, particularly on the women's side of things where like the prize money is of such a small nature. How difficult is it going to be for clubs to actually implement that is it going to affect you know we saw on your Gorman saying that you know she just couldn't turn down the offer from Shamrock Rovers because it wasn't being offered anywhere else how many players do you expect to be on a full-time basis in the women's league this year that will actually benefit from that I think look there'll be very few on a full-time basis I think part-time contracts will will certainly be the Mm. start and will be the norm for the the first couple of years but I think it's a really key important step for the women's game to take Um, ideally we'd love to have that with a much bigger uh, pot of funding for for the clubs to be able to have to to have more players on professional contracts but the most important thing first of all was to make sure that there was equality across the game um, and that the women's players had the opportunity to accept a professional contract Um, before this year that wasn't actually an option because the league wasn't registered as a professional league and even if uh, a club had the money to pay a player a professional contract they weren't allowed to do so Uh, so that was the first important step Uh, the second step then is to create the professional environment within all the clubs so before we talk about all the leagues uh, all the players Mm -hmm. being full time within the league uh, the next important part is to make sure that the players have a professional environment so the likes of medical care with doctors physios nutrition strength and conditioning uh, access to gym etc so all of that area is important and that's where we provide uh, funding for the clubs and a grant funding on a, on a year basis so although the prize money on the face of it may look small it's a 160% increase in the last two seasons which is a significant increase and then also separate to that we provide grant funding that's even across all the clubs uh, which gives them the opportunity to try and create that professional environment in the first place. Again it does feel as though it comes back to the economic model around this and somehow finding extra investment for summer because I don't think anyone would disagree that a minimum wage uh, is a necessity particularly in a in a sport like football where it's you know young people have been involved and have been sold the dream but that it's just impossible for men's and women's clubs an awful lot of them to get enough money in to pay players that minimum wage yeah I think it is and that's why you know the league has been left open to have professional contracts and amateur contracts as well and that's still the case in the men's game uh, obviously where some clubs actually have amateur contracts and, and players aren't uh, all signed on professional mm-hmm. contracts so when we were in negotiations with the, the PFAI and with Stephen and the team there we were very cognizant of that and how we could get to the right level that um, we made sure that there was a different level in for full time contracts and what the players would have to receive if the club wanted them on a full time basis and then what it would be on part time so um, you know that's something we discussed across all the clubs and, and thankfully found a, a solution which we, we feel will benefit for now in, in the short term and hopefully if we have this conversation in five to ten years time we'll see uh, all players on professional contracts and, and that's where we want to aim to get to. But In the short term 
do you think there might be more players on amateur contracts this year just because the clubs aren't ready for it or financially aren't ready for it? Uh, in the women's game? In, in, in both? I, I think in the men's game it'll be broadly similar to what it was. Um, I think there'll be a couple of clubs who still have uh, amateur contracts in the main. Obviously some of, some of the clubs in the first division, the vast majority of the Premier Division clubs will have full-time contracts for most players, some players on part-time contracts. Uh, and across the women's game, I think it'll be a gradual introduction of professional contracts this year, mostly on a part-time basis um, and hopefully that will continue to grow in the next few years as you know, hopefully we have a very successful FIFA Women's World Cup coming up in the summer as well um, so that's obviously going to drive more interest in the women's game hopefully more investment and hopefully if we sit here in a few years time we, we, we'll see players across both leagues all on full-time contracts We've seen the insanity of the transfer market over the past couple of weeks and the numbers that are being paid out by Premier League teams very much in contrast to still what's happening around the League of Ireland. And I mentioned earlier, we, we, we touched on it, and I think we've spoken to agents, we've spoken to the players' representative body about what can be done to increase the value of young Irish players. And the fact that last year it felt like almost every team in the Premier Division lost their best young player for very little money to go to England. Is there anything the FAI can do as an organisation to improve that or is that just one of the factors of football that the clubs need to stand on their own and get the investment off for longer contracts or as you've looked around Europe is there anything a league can do to protect their clubs better and protect the value of their players better? Yeah, I think look, for, you know, the the best, the biggest players in the country will always end up moving to the likes of uh, the English Premier League or the Championship because just the money involved in in them leagues is is not going to be something that we can ever compete with. Um, but certainly, what we would like to do is stop the fl- uh, flow of players who are moving to the likes of League One and League Two, um, maybe some lower clubs in Scotland, for example. So we'd love to be able to compete at that level of wages. Um, but obviously, in order for that to happen, we really have to create a proper full time football industry in this country. So it goes back to the, the facility side that we mentioned earlier on. The more people that come in the gates on a weekly basis, the more revenue the club has. Uh, the more people that are there, the more commercial revenue comes in and we can really start to create uh, that full-time football industry. So th- that's a big goal of ours. Mm. I said You spoke about the strategy earlier on. It's something we called out in that. Um, we have proposals around that as well in terms of uh, increasing the amount of full-time staff within clubs who can run the clubs as a business. And then as part of that, obviously, the academy structure comes in. Again, that's something that wasn't there 10 to 15 years ago. There's a lot of great work being done in that area now. Uh, Will Clark, who works in our department in the League of Ireland, our academy manager, has done a huge amount of work. And our new director of football, who's come in, Mark Cannon, has been fantastic. A great amount of knowledge from himself and John Morling uh, in that area. So it's something that we'll work with the clubs on. We educate them uh, as best as possible. Some clubs are already experts in this field themselves and have, have done well in the transfer market, knowing what to they're entitled to in terms of compensation from clubs overseas uh, and the final piece of all of that jigsaw then is, is obviously the Brexit element where now the players have to stay here until um, they're 18 which is fantastic for what we want to grow in, in the football industry because the players are leaving us professional footballers adults at that stage uh, and the clubs can hopefully demand a higher level of transfer fee um, for their assets as, as We also the have to are. be ready for that to make sure that the players footballing education between 16 and 18 is of a level if, as if they had gone to England. Absolutely, and that's what the part of the academy certification and the process that mm. we're, we're working through with the clubs and developing the academies is now. And some clubs are doing fantastic work in this area. They've got full-time staff. It's really starting to pay off. Players are progressing to the first team. Players are leaving for uh, good transfer fees to go overseas as well. 
Um, so the clubs just need to continue uh, to have that support from ourselves and the association and from, from outside as well. Obviously, uh, government support from the, that is key as well if we want to create the industry. And, you know, I've, I've mentioned it a number of times at this stage, if you look at the likes of the film industry, which was on its knees at one stage in the 90s and, uh, you know, really developed, got real big government support. And we've 14 people a record going for Oscars next week. So, you know, that's that's the type of thing we want to create. Martin McDonough so. of Irish football. <laughs> Well, I'm sure there's there's plenty of them out there. So in the next generation of young Irish footballers, both male and female, there's there's loads of them out there, and we just need to create the opportunities because mm. we know the demand that there is um, for for football in this country. We know the amount of players who want to play and aspire to play at the highest level. But we believe that we can have that here at home. And you know, when I look to other countries on a similar size to us, you know, countries like Croatia have done well on on the international stage, or look at some of uh, the countries in Scandinavia like Norway and, and Sweden and Denmark and their domestic leagues I don't think there's any reason why we can't have a thriving full-time professional industry like that in this country Uh, that's our ambition that's our aim and uh, yes you'll still have your best players from them countries who'll go to the biggest leagues across Europe and the biggest clubs uh, but there's no reason why everyone else can't play in our own domestic league because I think some people would listen to you talk about League One and think why would it be trying to aim for League One not fully understanding just how big that football industry is in England and the level of support that a lot of those clubs are getting in League One up on 15, 20, 25,000 supporters to every match the quality of their training grounds that it feels as though almost every club in England now has their own Abbottstown whereas here in Ireland we're a million miles away from that yeah, well obviously the English football industry, um, particularly being led by the Premier League, mm. but just the history that's in England of um, the various different tiers and the football pyramid that's there has meant that there's obviously support right down through the clubs. But you know, we look at, at players, as I said, that are leaving to go to that level and that's the immediate goal is making sure that them players are staying here in our own country and we're providing that type of environment and challenging. And then what we have as an advantage, obviously, over over that level of football in England and anywhere else is, is the opportunity then for the players when they stay here to compete in Europe competition uh, you know we've had four clubs or, or four teams twice Dundalk and twice Shamrock Rovers competing in the group stages in Europe in the last 11 years that's a massive opportunity for players uh, to play on a big scale um, you know we've had five clubs in the last two seasons who've got minimum to the third round in European competition so there's lots of really good progress being made here and we think we can compete at a European level hopefully regularly at the group stages with our top clubs so I think that's something that will, will excite our players and if we can create uh, an environment for them where by they'll be able to be paid accordingly to be able to, to stay here and continue their professional career. I'm sure most of them would, would rather stay here and play at home if, if we can uh, afford to keep them. It was in the strategy to have a men's third tier by 2023. Uh, that's not going to happen. What would the benefit of a third tier be to Irish football? Well, I think to Irish football is the key. So I think a lot of times people have, have spoke about this as being like a third tier of the League of Ireland. But really, fundamentally, if if anything happens here, this is about the creation of a bigger football pyramid within Ireland. Um, so that promotion relegation is, is obviously a key aspect of any football pyramid, which is important. Uh, importantly for, for all the grassroots clubs across the country I and mean, some of the level of players that we have playing at the top of the amateur game in this country are, are fantastic level we have some great games in FAI Junior and Intermediate Cup mm. competitions but at the minute there's no clear pyramid or pathway for them clubs to progress to the next level so I think hopefully that's something that would, would excite the amateur game um, and then a big risk in, though for those clubs towards the bottom of Division 1 
Yeah, but again, um, you know, when when this uh, any pyramid system comes in, there would obviously have to be as well as promotion and relegation on the pitch. Uh, it would have to be off the pitch as well. So in terms of that licensing criteria, and what clubs would have to meet, we've seen it with any new teams that have come in the league over the last few years. It's been a huge step for them to come in and have either the infrastructure available or meet the licensing standard uh, required to come in. So um, any step that would be in between the League of Ireland and that's there for the highest level of amateur football now would hopefully bridge the gap and. And, and make sure that uh, the clubs working at the, the level below the League of Ireland are, are starting to move up towards the same level of licensing standards to get them ready to, to make that step up. Um, and then again, the, the key important aspect is this is all about the players and what's best for player development. And at the minute we have a gap where players come out of under-19 uh, League of Ireland football and if they don't find a, a club within the League of Ireland structure, they drop to that next level there's some fantastic top amateur clubs around the country um, but in a lot of cases uh, they don't have the opportunity to play maybe on a, a regional or a national basis at that level so I think that will all be up for discussion uh, this year as we continue the consultation on what a football pyramid and a pathway for young players will look like but um, I think there's exciting times and definitely a lot of progress that could be made in that area in the next few years and it does really feel like there is a lot of progress being made in terms of the interest levels like there was certainly a period where it felt like there was football and League of Ireland football and there were two separate things and if you were into English football there was no space for you over here and you can see with the crowds that people are realising it's on their doorstep there's a good quality you can watch a player who in three years time will be playing in a senior international squad probably Stephen Kenny's appointment and his closeness to the league has brought that together as well what is the plan then for the next 6-12 months to really capitalise on that and make sure that you're sitting in a, here in a year's time and the level of support is increasing, the level of interest is increasing. What's a, what's a good season off the pitch? Yeah, well, I think I think the first part of what we tried to do with that was obviously the League of Ireland rebrand, which again was something we called out in in the strategy when it was launched. So uh, the brand of the league has has helped us create now something that we think is is new and vibrant and dynamic that hopefully will help us reach a, a wider audience, which we were already doing uh, via some of the great work that's been going on social media platforms by ourselves, by the clubs them, themselves as well, and LOI TV has helped us reach a new audience as well. Um, so I think prior to that it was very difficult maybe to keep up with all the teams in the league mm. um, you know keep up even with your own team if, if you missed away games or you weren't able to get to games um, so we we now I think are a lot more always on within the league um, via social media and via LOI TV so I think we're reaching that wider audience uh, hopefully capturing the imagination of the younger fans because most of us who are passionate League of Ireland fans are passionate because we were brought as kids to games and that's something I would urge any parent in the country to do with the kids uh, is bring them out to League of Ireland games let them experience live football um, and they'll be hooked and they always are and, and when you are from a young age it makes such a difference you know, most of us whatever football club we support uh, we do that because that's the club that we, we supported uh, when we were youngster and we've kept that going throughout our life and uh, if we can get more and more fans across the country um, to, to bring kids to games to get involved in games for families to get a good night out on a Friday or a Saturday um, at the games then it, it's obviously going to keep that audience growing in the future and I think once that continues to grow um, as it has done over the last number of seasons I think uh, there's lots of positives for the future and I think we, we'll continue to grow for many years to come uh, Best of luck with the season Mark thanks a million for coming to the studio Thanks very much